seated. All right, there's something I've always wanted to do on an Easter Sunday. And that is, I want to say, He is risen. And I want to hear you say, He is risen indeed. Can we do that? All right, He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Amen. Thank you. You just made my dreams come true. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's good. That's really good. All right. My name is Greg Vaccaro, and I'm so glad you're here. I, I wish that you could be up on stage and look out today because you guys look good. You really look good. It's, it's a good thing to, to be here today on Easter. And we've been in a series called Given, and we've been talking through a number of different gifts that God has given us. So if this is your first time, you may see some presents here on the wall. And those all represent gifts that God has given to, to all of us. Now, I don't know how you might celebrate Easter after you leave from here, but my wife and I have four kids, and, and when they were younger, we always used to like to, to include Easter baskets as part of our celebration. And, and there would be different gifts and different things that the kids got in their basket, and it was just a wonderful time. But you know what? The gifts that we're talking about today, they're different than Easter basket gifts because these gifts, they're given to us, and then we give them away. And, you know, as time has moved on, and now my youngest is a sophomore in college, we don't, we don't do Easter baskets. We've changed traditions. We do an Easter scavenger hunt, all right? So, so my wife separates the boys from the girls. Now with in-laws, we've got three and three, and uh, two teams, and they're given clues and puzzles they have to solve, and then it sends them to a location in town, and they have to answer a question to get the next puzzle. And, and when they all get back, the one who's got the most ones right, man, they win. And losers, you know what? Got nothing for you. Got to go back to camp. That's it. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing this afternoon to celebrate Easter. But this morning, as we look at these gifts and we look at how unique they are, it's not just there's a winner and a loser, right? God has given them to all of us that we would all be winners. We can all go home with a gift this morning, right? It's not, okay, sorry, got nothing for you. No, God has something for all of us. So what is the gift we're going to be talking about today? It's this gift of compassion. And those that are ready to, to start serving communion, we're going to have communion together. If you pass out the elements. But we're going to be talking about this gift of compassion. And it starts with Jesus and what he did on the cross. It, it starts with, with who he was as he went to Golgotha. And I'd like to read to you today from Luke chapter 23, because it, it mentions this, there was two others, both criminals, that were led out to be executed with him. You see three crosses. Jesus is the one in the middle. Two criminals on, on, are on either end. And when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross, and the criminals also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus says this. He says this to all the people, but you know what? He says this to me, and he says it to you today. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice, and the crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. And they said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him too, offering him a drink of sour wine. And they called out to him, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. A sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews. Now the criminals on either side, one says this, one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it 
by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested, don't you fear God even when you've been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember you, remember me when you come into your kingdom. So I'd just like to park on the words that Jesus said when he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know, so many times in our lives, we don't know what we're doing. But God comes in his forgiveness. Jesus comes in his forgiveness. Aren't you glad for that this morning? Like to know that I'm glad it wasn't going through it for the first time on Friday because it wouldn't have been a good Friday. It would have been the worst Friday of my life if, if I was a follower of Jesus then to see him up on the cross. But like we're in the 21st century. We know the, we know the story that history has told us. We know that Jesus didn't stay on the cross, but for him to say, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That's love. That is compassion. And, and Jesus did that not just because he loved us, but because he knew that there was no way we could ever pay the price for our sin. He came and he died on the cross. A perfect. He lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross in my place, in your place, that, that we could understand that. So this morning as we take communion, communion is an open communion here at Shiloh. We only ask that you know Jesus is your Savior. In fact, if you don't know Jesus and you're taking communion, I ask this. Invite him into your life because this is the most important thing that we can do is to receive what he's done on the cross for us, that he, he paid the price for our sin. But you have to receive it. It's a gift. And if, if I offer a gift to you this morning and you never take it out of my hands, you didn't receive it. The gift is there, but you have to receive it. So we're going to take communion together and we're going to remember that on the night he was betrayed, they had, a, they had a, a, a meal. And Jesus at the meal took the bread that was just there on the meal and he told his disciples this. He said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So as we partake of the bread today, let's remember Jesus and what he's done on the cross. Thank you, Lord. And in the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper. And he said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. So as we drink the cup today, we're remembering Jesus not on the cross. We're remembering Jesus risen from the dead. And we're thanking you, Lord Jesus, for the sacrifice that you paid and the victory that you won. Let's drink together. Thank you, Father. Amen. You may take your cups and pass them to the aisles and uh, people will be coming by to, to return them to you. Thank you, Lord. So let's consider this word compassion that we're dealing with, this gift of compassion or forgiveness that Jesus has. It's a deep awareness of, of the suffering of another accompanied by the wish to relieve it if it's possible. Right? So I'll give you a simple example. My son and daughter-in-law are staying with me and, and my two grandkids are with them. And, and my two-year-old Nora, I come home one day and she's crying. She's got a little Band-Aid on her finger. And, and I come to find out, I'm like, Nora, what's the matter? She's like, Pop, I got a boo-boo. And she's sobbing, you know, little sniffles and stuff. And and I come to understand that she was holding a book and pushing it underneath the basement door. 
And my son was coming up the basement stairs, but the door is closed. He doesn't know she's on the other side. So he takes the book to like pull it out, but she's still holding it. And it kind of takes her hands and it goes right under the door and she hurts her, her little, you know, finger. So she had a Band-Aid and she's still, you know, a little upset that, that she hurt her, her, her finger. So I like pick her up and, and I comfort her and I'm like, here, Pop's going to pray for you. So we pray together and then I'm like, I'm going to kiss it, make you feel better. Hey, let's go read a book. And by the time we're ready to read a book, like she's forgotten all about the finger. You know how that goes, right? Anybody of you that have kids, it's, it's a disaster until you want to do something fun and then it's all well and good. But you see, there's something about compassion. It's not just to have empathy. So I could say, oh, Nora, I'm so sad you hurt your finger. But like, how do I take that pain and relieve it? It's like, okay, I'm going to pray for you and let's go read a book. And now she's forgotten about it. So Jesus, when he has compassion, he empathizes with us. Did you know that? It says this in Hebrews, that this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus has empathy with you and me. Right, so you may say, wait a minute, he lived a perfect life. Did he, have, did he deal with issues of morality? Yes, he did. There was a lot, of, a lot of people around him. He dealt with issues of morality and choices that he had to make. Did he deal with addiction? Yes, Jesus dealt with addiction. If you're here with addiction today. So, so he dealt with all of the temptations that we could have. It says he was tested in every way, yet he did not sin. That's amazing. He was probably tempted to steal, to cheat, to lie, to be immoral, right? He faced all the same temptations that you and I did. But it wasn't enough that he can empathize with us. He did something more than that. It says this in 2 Corinthians 5.15, He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life would no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. So how many of you this morning have I said, you have a chance to start a new life? You don't have to live for yourself. You can start a new life for Jesus, a new life for Christ. Some of us would say, yeah, you know, I like, I don't like my life. I want to trade in my life for a life Jesus would give me. Like that just sounds pretty good right now, doesn't it? A life that Jesus has called you to versus the life of, of what, whatever you're going through. That's the compassion that Jesus had for us not just to empathize, but also to take care of it, to pay the price for our sin. But as we've been going through this series of given, we've taken each Sunday and we've gone back to the book of Acts, which is where we see the stories of the early church and and how the first disciples after Jesus had had died and risen from the dead and ascends into heaven, we see how the disciples, uh, how, how they went about taking these gifts that Jesus has given us and what it looked like in their lives. So we're going to start this morning looking at the early church. We're going to be looking into the book of Acts in in chapter 6. But let me just talk to you first about, let me set the stage, okay? So in the book of Acts, after Jesus is raised from the dead and he ascends into heaven, there's explosive growth that's happening. A lot of people are coming to find faith in Jesus Christ. And with this rapid growth, there's also some problems that are happening, quite frankly. There's discontent, there's rumblings. And, And the problems are this. There's the Jewish believers so, so Jewish people that have come to know Jesus, and there's the, Gentile, the Gentiles that have come to know Jesus, and they're both together following Jesus. So as they come together, there's a time where the apostles were distributing food to widows. But you had Jewish widows and you had Gentile widows. And, and the, the discontent at the time was that the Gentile widows were feeling like they were being overseen. Uh, you know, they were overlooked, 
when the distribution of food, and they thought the Jewish widows were getting more preference because they were Jewish, all right? So in their minds, they were being discriminated against. Not much has changed um, in terms of how the world sees, we, we see each other in the world. So in Acts 6, 1, it says this, as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent. The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying that their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the disciples said, look, we've got a lot on our plate trying to handle the growth and trying to handle the spiritual vision of what's going on. How about you find seven men that we can appoint and oversee this operation of distributing of food so that, so that they can be more careful in how it's done and, and we make sure that it's fair and equitable to all. So the people came and they, they presented to the disciples seven men and one of those men was Stephen. And, and his job was simply to oversee the distribution of food to the widows. That's, that's what they were anointing him for. But when we read about Stephen, like this guy was Superman. Look at this. In Acts 6, 8, it says, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. All right, he is doing way more than just distributing food to, to some widows that need food. Right? He's going out, he's ministering, and there's signs and wonders. Why? Because he's a believer in Jesus, and when you're a believer in Jesus, it's contagious. Right? There's something about how he's living his life. It's affecting other people. All right, so the story goes on. What happens to Stephen? We find later in Acts 6 that some of the Jews are watching what Stephen's doing, and they're getting jealous of what he's doing. So what happens when people get jealous of you? They try to discredit you right? So they bring some witnesses forward and they lie. And we find this in Acts 6, 11 through 15. The witnesses say this, hey, Stephen, he's, blaspheme, he's blasphemed Moses. He's even blasphemed God. Now, people that knew Stephen were like, Stephen? That's the last thing we'd ever expect someone to say about Stephen. He's a man full of grace. He's doing signs and wonders. But the discredit is out there. The blame is out there. The lies that are out there now the, the high council has to do something. They've got to take this and they, they have to bring Stephen before them and he's going to address the council. And we find in, in Acts chapter 7, verses 1 through 50, 50 verses. Aren't you glad I'm not reading that this morning, huh? I'm just paraphrasing it here, but 50 verses worth, Stephen's telling the high council the story in the Bible. The story that starts with the God of Abraham and then the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, how Joseph was sent to the Egyptian world, uh, and he rose to be the second in power, all so that he could save the Jewish people when the famine came, and, and there was seven years of plenty, and then seven years of famine, and Joseph was the one in operation to make sure they stored away more food during the seven years of, of plenty, that they'd have enough to, to survive the race, and, and the Israelites would, would be... Um, would be rescued through that time. And then he talks about Moses, how Moses came in and rescued the Israelites from, from Egypt and took them uh, to the promised land. And he talks about David. And then Stephen goes on and he says this. He says in Acts 7:51, you stubborn people. He's talking to the high council of the Jewish leaders. He says, you stubborn people, you're heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. And Jesus lets them all know, this man, or Stephen lets them all know, this man, Jesus, that just was crucified, you crucified him, and he was the Son of God. 
All right, I don't know about you, but if you're the high council and you hear this young whippersnapper coming in saying this to you, you're going to be like, okay, you're toast, buddy, right? You're, you are done. So it doesn't take the high council. It's actually everyone that's listening. We pick up the story in Acts 7, 57 through 60. It says, then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. And his accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge this. Don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. Now, doesn't this seem a little familiar to you? Right? We just talked about the compassion of Jesus, where he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And, and now we have Jesus, a follower. We have Stephen, a follower of Jesus. He's saying a very similar line. Father, don't charge them with this sin. Stephen doesn't have the power to forgive. Jesus had the power to forgive. He forgave mankind. But Stephen's repeating the same thing. And you look at this and say, wow, this guy was incredible. Like, what would you do if you were Stephen? I'll tell you how I would react if I were Stephen. Like, in that moment, I'd be like, whoa, 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 guys, easy, easy. Like, you don't have to stone me over this whole thing. I'll take it back. Maybe you really aren't that bad. I've tried to talk my way out of it, maybe, to preserve my life. But, but then in the middle of it, if I'm recognizing I'm going to die, I might feel like this. This isn't fair. Like, these were lies. Don't you, don't you recognize these were lies they said about me? I, I didn't blaspheme Moses. I didn't blaspheme God. Like, God, I had so much to live for. I'm still young. Why, why are you allowing to be killed? Like, God, it's not right. Wouldn't, you, wouldn't that rise up on the inside of you? That's, how, that's what, how I would react. Maybe it's my Italian blood. I just got this fairness thing in me, you know? But Stephen starts to shout, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. This is what I see in that. That's not natural. That's supernatural. You, you, you can't do that in your own strength. But see, that's what compassion is. When we receive the compassion of Jesus, it's a supernatural gift. It, it, it's more than you just feeling compassion for someone. When you have the compassion of Jesus, you have a way to extend and do something like not too many other people will be able to do because it's the power of God working in you and through you to other people. Right? So now let's, let's think about this word compassion or forgiveness and start to think in your life, hey, have you ever really been wronged? Has anybody burned you? Like, burned you bad. Like, I'm not just talking about, okay, little, I'm talking about a, like a really bad burn. Yeah, I, I have a time in my life I can think back to. I was working at Hewlett Packard, and Intel had just bought out HP, the design team that I was in. And all the design team was going to be going to Intel except for my group because they already had a team at Intel that did the work my group did. So I needed to let my entire team go except for two people. And, and the job that I needed to do, they already had someone else, but they were offering me another position as a manager at Intel. So I had a group of people I had to let go, but I still had a job going forward with Intel. And a lot of the people understood exactly what was happening. Like we... It was no surprise. They all knew, we all knew that Intel had a group that, you know, had the same group as our group, and we were, we were duplication. They didn't need a lot of us. And they understood what my new role was going to be. But one guy, you know what? He went low. He went really low. And, and, and in front of other people, he starts saying, Greg, hope you get a bigger bonus at Intel now that you're letting us all go. And, and he starts to just go low. Like, few things can hurt like that, but when someone starts saying stuff that's not true and it's not who you are, like, man, I was burned. 
So he didn't stop just at that. He'd leave me voicemails after I'm at Intel. Hope you're enjoying being there when all of us are out of it. Like just digging and digging. Like a voicemail every week I'm getting. And it was, it was a hard time. And then one day I get an email from him. It's not the traditional email digging and, and just putting my nose in it. It's, hey, Greg, I, I'm going for an interview for a job, and I wonder if you'd give me a reference. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously? And you know, at that moment, it just rose up within me. Like, this guy is a hurting man. And he was a good employee, and I'm going to give him a good re- I'm not going to speak to all the things he did to burn me. I'm just going to speak to what his record was. And I said, absolutely. I, I'll get, and, and once I said I give him a reference, then he was all apologetic, like you're a better man than I. He didn't apologize before he came. He apologized after he knew he was going to get a reference. But in that moment, it wasn't, it wasn't Greg that was forgiving this man. It was Jesus coming through Greg with a gift of forgiveness or a gift of compassion. And that's how you know when it's God's gift to you, when you can give it away and you're like, in my own strength, I couldn't do something like that. But now I can see how God operates. See, if we can receive that gift from God, then we have it to give it away. And this is what we read in 1 John 3.16. For we know what real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Now, some of you this morning may say, wait, 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 wait. Give up my life? Are you asking me to be a martyr? I'm not sure I'm ready for that. Well, that's between you and God. I'm not asking anybody to be a martyr. But there is this element that when we come to Jesus and we give him our life, then he wants us to to give give what he gives us away, right? So the gifts that he gives us, that compassion, we give it away. How many of you have ever said the Lord's Prayer? I'm hoping I see every hand go up, right? We all know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if I read that scripture where it talks about the Lord's Prayer in the New Living, it's Luke eleven four, and it says, And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. All right, we've all said this prayer, right? But, but in the moment when someone sins against you and it burns you bad, like we're, we think of a lot of other things we want to do other than forgive them, right? We're like, yeah, I just don't have it in me to forgive this person right now. But it says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. You don't really have a choice. I don't have a choice. If, if we know that we have sin in our lives, the only way we receive forgiveness is for us to forgive others. So what would it look like this morning for us to give away the gift of compassion to someone in your life? What, what would it look like? It, you know, maybe you've got an ex and you've been burned really bad. Maybe you're a child and like your parents mistreated you and you're not talking to them anymore. You've disowned your family. Or parents, you don't speak to your kids anymore because of something that happened, right? I'm, what has really burned you? And what would it look like for you to receive a gift of compassion this morning and for you to, to reach out in forgiveness and, and give that gift away today? Wouldn't that be amazing if we could take Easter Sunday, the Sunday where Jesus is risen, and like speak that hope into someone else's life by the gift of compassion and forgiveness? So at Shiloh, we have a vision, and it's called Know God, Find Freedom, 
discover purpose and make a difference. And many times when I'm talking to people and, and we're, we're getting into, hey, do you know what it means to know God? And you know, a lot of times the answer is I get is not really. Uh, like you say that and I think I know, but I'm not really sure that I know what you mean. Do you know what it means to find freedom? Well, I can imagine, but, but, but yeah, tell me more. So usually what I say to them at this point is, hey, could we set up a time, call my office, I only need five minutes to tell you about what it means to know God. But you're all here and we got time. So how about I just take five minutes and I'm going to tell you, what does it mean to really know God? See, when I was growing up, if you ask me, what does it mean to know God? I'd say very simply, it means to go to mass or, or go to church. Like that's what we do. When you want to know God, you go to the building. And, and I didn't really get it until someone explained it to me some, one, one day. And now I'm going to take a, a minute to explain it to you. Did you know that God's got a purpose for all of us here? He's got a purpose of why you're on this earth. Not just why you're here, but a purpose for why you're here on the earth. And that he loves you and he's got a plan. And the Bible says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, who was Jesus, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And then Jesus went on to say that he came that we might have life and have it abundantly, a complete life full of purpose. A complete life full of purpose. Wouldn't you love a life full of purpose? So if Jesus came with that peace and with that life, then why don't most of us have this peace and abundant life that God planned for us? Great question. Well, there's a problem. And the problem is this. The problem is that sin separates us. And you can see on the one hand, we're, as, as a people, we're sinful. And on the other hand, God is a holy God. He can't stand sin in His presence. It's just who He is. And we find this in the Bible in Romans, that we all have sinned and thought or said bad things. And the Bible calls that sin. And Romans says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I've never met a person that I've asked, hey, would you say you're a sinner? Usually everyone says yes. Like, they, they want to go on and tell me how much they've sinned. I'm like, no, I just, just stop right there. You're a sinner. We're all sinners. We agree with that. Well, Romans 6 tells us that the result of sin is death. Spiritual separation from God. So our sin separates us from God. And, and we choose are we, us choosing our sin results in that separation, right? So, so sinful people, holy God, there's no way to, to bridge the gap. But we'll try, won't we? We, we have all tried. How, how many of you love to do random acts of kindness? Yeah, I, I like to do it. I think it's fun when you can do something that no one expects. But you know, when we get to a point where we think, okay, if I do 20 random acts of kindness today, it's going to outweigh the 10 bad things I did, and now I'm going to have a good day. Like, we don't find that in the Bible. There's nothing that says there's a ledger. It says, no, you've got sin, and there's nothing you can do. We, we try as sinful people to bridge the gap by doing good works. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll, we'll have a long enough, long enough record of good works that's going to reach over to where God is. Nope, can't get there. We're, we're never, our good works never make us holy. But Proverbs says this, there's a way that appears right to a man, but the end leads in death. And in Isaiah, it says, if your sins, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. Because of your sins, he's turned away and will not listen anymore. So we've tried many ways to bridge this gap, but no bridge reaches God except for one. And that bridge is the cross, right? That's why we're here today on Easter Sunday is to celebrate the victory of Jesus on the cross and him, him being raised from the dead on the third day. So God sent his son to die for your sin, for my sin, and Jesus is the bridge 
that bridges sinful man with a holy God. So 1 Timothy says this, For there's one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. That's Jesus is the bridge. 1 Peter, For Christ has also suffered once for our sins, the righteous, him, for the unrighteous, me and you, to bring us to God. He put to death in the body, but was made alive in the spirit. And then Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrate his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God has provided a way. But each of us have to make a choice today. And, and the choice is, will we receive what he's done or will we reject what he's done? Right? Again, if I'm giving you a gift, you have the opportunity to either receive that gift or to say, no, thanks. My, my grandkids are really funny sometimes. I'm like, hey, William, would you like this? He's like, no, thank you, Pop. I'm like, wow, he's got such great manners. I mean, he just kind of said, talk to the hand, but, you know, he still has good manners as he's doing it. But, but what will we say to God? Will we say, God, I, I'm going to receive the gift of what Jesus did on the cross, or will we reject it? So Romans 3, I mean, Re- Revelations 3 says that, that Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and eat with that person and they with me. So imagine if Jesus were here today and he's knocking and saying, hey, would you, would you open the door? Would, would you let me in? Like, what would you say to Jesus? Like, you know, you either get up off the couch and open the door, or you don't. Like, deciding to stay on the couch is a decision that I'm not opening the door, right? I mean, you, there is no default decision. You either open the door or you don't open the door for him. But we all have a choice. Are we going to receive Jesus or are we not? And, and if we choose to stay on the left, we're still in our sin. But God has provided a way that we can come. And we, he wanted a relationship with us so badly that he sent Jesus to die in our place. So there's this scripture I love. It's Romans 10, 9. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So this is how you start a relationship with Jesus. You openly declare, Jesus, you're my Lord. I believe, I believe that, that God raised you from the dead. All right, there's many of us, we can do that. And, and, and then it says, okay, and you will be saved. But now I, I've got to ask you this question. What does it mean to believe? Because right, some of us, we have a belief that's in our head. I, I believe God is up there. Now, I want to ask you, have, have you ever been to Niagara Falls? Anybody been in Niagara Falls? Yeah, fun place to visit. So in their gift shop was this book. I found it a number of years ago. It's, it's Then and Now, Niagara Falls, right? And, and you'll find a story in this gift shop about a man named Jean, Jean-Francois, and I'm going to butcher this, Gravelette, I think. So he was known as the Great Blondin. And, and the Great Blondin, he... Uh, he was known for stretching a tightrope wire across Niagara Falls and doing incredible feats. Like, he walked over, took him 14 minutes to get over, and then he skips back. It only took him four minutes to get back, right? He, he went out into the middle of the tightrope wire, and he, he cracks an egg, and he cooks an egg, and eats it, and then finishes. Like, crazy feats. But one day, he's taking a wheelbarrow and pushing it along the tightrope wire, going back and forth. So to the crowd on one side, he says, hey, do you believe that I can push this wheelbarrow? They'd seen him do it a couple of times. Everybody's like, absolutely, yes. And he goes, would anybody like to get in and go for a ride? And yeah, he didn't get any takers that day. 
No one, no one went in the wheelbarrow for good reason, right? What would you do? I, there's no way I'd get, like, yes, I believe for you, but, but not for me, right? So then there was another time he's doing this tightrope walking back and forth. And he says to his manager, do you believe I can, I can walk across Niagara Falls? His manager's like Blondin, like I've seen you do it, you know, skipping and jumping and cooking an egg and a wheelbarrow. Of course I believe you can walk across. And it's like, then ride piggyback with me and let's go together. Now you'd think there's just no way, right? Like the pictures lie. The manager, scared to death, got on his back and they walked across safely. They got to the other side. This is in the 1850s. Like, I wish I lived back then. That would have been crazy to see, right? But so now I ask you this question. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart, see, believe in your heart may have a different meaning to you now, right? It's not just to believe like, yeah, I believe you can take that wheelbarrow across, but I'm not getting in it. No, would you get on the back? Do you believe that much that you're willing to give your life? See, Jesus, he gave his life for me and you. And what he's saying in return is, hey, for you to receive me like you give your life to me and now let me live through you. It's a great exchange because he's offering you a life of, of, of plan and purpose. And, and you can just stay in your sin if you want and not have that relationship. But that's what it means to believe in your heart. So how do we receive Jesus today? It, it's not a complicated process. We admit that we're sinners Again, I, I've never met anyone that's said they don't have sin. But then we're willing to turn from our sin and ask for God's forgiveness. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross and rose from the grave, but it's a belief that takes our heart, it takes our life. It's not just a, oh yeah, I believe you're in heaven, God. And then through prayer, we invite Jesus to come in and control our life through the Holy Spirit. That's what it means to know God. That's what it means to start a relationship with God. So in a minute, I'm going to give us all an invitation. If, if you've never heard an explanation like this, and you've, you might have thought like I thought, hey, knowing God, it's just it's coming to church. No, knowing God is, is starting a relationship with Jesus. And this is how you start the relationship. You simply come to him, and you, you go through these things. Admit you're a sinner. Be willing to turn. But we all have a choice to make today, and the choice is pretty simple. Will we receive Jesus, or won't we? If he's knocking... Are you going to get up and open the door or not? And, and if you've already received Jesus, then I would like to challenge you with this. What does it look like now that you have the gift of his compassion and forgiveness for you to give that away today? Is there anyone in your life that you need to forgive? Maybe you've been holding a grudge. Maybe there's an issue. Like unforgiveness hurts us more than it hurts the other person. You understand what I'm saying? Right? There's, there's certain things we hold on to it and it destroys us from the inside out. Would you allow God to just breathe a fresh, a fresh wind of compassion and forgiveness in your life that then you could give it away to others? All right, would you stand with me as we close in prayer? I'd like, I'd like us all to bow our heads if we could and to close our eyes and, and people that I've invited to minister at the altar, if you come forward now to the altar, that would be great too. So I, I want to ask you this question. Has there ever been a time in your life where you've said to Jesus, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want to receive what you've done on the cross, and I want to start a relationship with you. I want to live for you, right? That's a, that's a, a question that we all have an opportunity to answer this morning. So if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, it says that we need to openly declare that Jesus is Lord. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this opportunity. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you raise your hand as a way to openly declare before God and to me as well, Jesus, I want to receive you today. Is there anyone here that would raise their hand and say, I I want to start a relationship with Jesus? Anyone here? Thank you. Anyone else? And now I want to ask you this question. If if you're here today and you may have said, okay, I've received Jesus, I'm walking with him, but I've walked far away at this point in my life. And, And I'm here on an Easter Sunday and you know what? I know I need to come back to Jesus. If, if, this, if you've walked away from Jesus, how you come back to him is how you first came to him. You come in the same way. You say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I admit that, that, I, that you rose from the dead and you give your life all over to him again. Is there anyone here today that would say, that represents me, Greg. I've walked away from God. I want to come back to him. Raise your hand. I see your hand. Thank you. I see a lot of hands. Yes, thank you. Anyone else? Raise your hand to openly declare to Jesus Christ. Thank you. I see your hand. Okay, praise, praise God for that. So we're going to pray in a minute, and, and I'd like to ask us all to pray together. Whether you've received Jesus or you haven't, I'd like us all to pray together that, that we can just say to God that we, we are sorry for our sin and we admit it and we're going to receive him. So just repeat with me in prayer if you would. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I confess my sin to you. And I ask forgiveness for that sin. I openly declare that Jesus died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And he paid the price for my sin. I invite you into my life, Jesus. Live through me today. And for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're here this morning and you prayed that prayer, whether for the first time or or as a rededication to the Lord, I have a gift for you. It's this little book called Living in Christ because knowing God is a relationship. It's a journey. And and what you've done today is you've just started in the journey, but this book is really going to help you. So these people that are in the front, they have access to the book. They're here to, to help you to pray with you. But if you have a need for anything on this Easter, uh, someone you want to pray with in prayer, like Easter is a day of hope. It's a day where we celebrate that Jesus is alive. And we're here. Don't, don't leave today without hope, right? If you need prayer, come forward. Let us pray with you. If you need to work through forgiveness for someone else, we're here to pray with you, okay? So I'm going to say a prayer of blessing over us all. And then as I dismiss you, feel free to come forward. They'll be here. So just take your time and, and come up to them. But let's all pray together. Can we raise our hands together as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for Easter Sunday. We thank you that you are risen. You are risen indeed. Father, you have won the victory. And Father, you have invited us as your children to sit in heavenly places with you. And and Lord, we just pray a blessing over your people today. Lord, as we celebrate this day and all that it means, God, would you keep us safe? Would you protect each one? And we give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, have a great Easter. Thank you for being here. God bless you.